Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! Morning, Cascade! All right, you know, that's, I like that. That warms my heart. First time I was here at Cascade and said good morning that way, it was crickets. So we are, we are coming along together. I like it. And as usual, there's somebody wearing a Steelers jersey in this place. Every time I'm here, that person has that on. Y'all need to, I'm just saying this for accountability purposes and confrontation Well, let's, uh, let's pray together, and then we'll get into what we're going to be doing this morning. God, thanks for today. Thanks for your amazing grace and your love and your peace and your justice. This morning, we pray your spirit fall on us anew, bring us alive, bring your hope, bring your conviction, what we need, God, to be uh, who you have called us to be in this world. We thank you for this community gathered. We pray that no one uh, feels alone in this space. Touch us uh, to be a part of one another's lives. In Christ's name, amen. So this morning, is there a a mic stand I can... um, Thank you. I need a mic stand because I'm probably not going to stay here the whole time. Um, so this morning, we are going to uh, take, do a couple things. We're going to um, take a look at Exodus. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Kurt. Kurt's such a servant, huh? We're going to take a look at Exodus um, for a few minutes, about 15 minutes or so, and then we're going to have a panel discussion uh, where there are three folks, Andrew Morgan, Coffee Carrasco, and Donna Barber are going to come, and we're going to talk about uh, the subject for the morning. Um, as you know, it's the start of Black History Month. How many people know that? Is that? Okay, very good. good. And uh, so this morning, we're going we're gonna to start off in honoring that month. So we're going to uh, offer ways in which um, ways in which we can we can we can start some practices in our lives around what black spirituality is. We're going to talk a lot about that this morning. Uh, and uh, if we if we if we have time, uh, maybe we'll do one or two questions. All right. If we if we have time for that. So a little bit different morning service, but um, go with us. The scripture uh, I want to start from was in Exodus, uh, verse 3. The Lord said, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. 
So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Exodus is this story of uh, the Israelites, the Hebrews, coming out of oppression, right? And their exodus from Egypt. And um, obviously, we aren't going to teach the whole book of Exodus this morning. Um, but I want to jump off of that place um, as a place where, uh, as we move into celebrating Black History Month, to talk a little bit about uh, the experiences of uh, African Americans in America and the relationship that has to Exodus, actually, uh, and some of the comparisons on why I think um, it is, um, it's a good thing for us, for everyone, to engage black spirituality. Because um, I think it is a something, a something that was created uh, out of the struggle of oppression in this country that actually can help free a lot of uh, a lot of the oppression that we see around us. So, just to back up a little bit, just so that we're all on the same page, we know in Genesis that God created everyone in in his image, right? In the image of creator, male and female, God created, right? That, that there wasn't, that's where the story starts, right? Uh, uh, for, for, for a long time, or if you listen in a lot of evangelical circles, you would think the story starts with Adam and Eve, right? And the fall, and all this concentration on the fall and sin entering the world and those kind of things. That that isn't where the story starts, right? The story starts in creation and God saying everything is good, right? So we all are image bearers. We all were created good and equal in the eyes of God, right? So my black skin is good. That should be a loud amen. I, 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 need, that one. I need that one to be really loud. Right? So created in the image of God, uh, black skin, uh, different non-straight hair, right? Loud, right? Like all of these things that I am is good. I won't let Donna talk on that part. But. So that's where we start the story. That whoever you are, However you were created, that it is good in God's eyes. We all were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our creator. The fall comes in, and what happens then is, like, I, uh, uh, out of the fall comes the oppression. And the reason that oppression comes out of the fall, right, is that we begin to think that some of us are better than others. Right. And uh, and if you can get an upper hand on someone, then you get it right. If the story starts at the fall, then all of this craziness makes sense. Right. Then then, then maybe there are some people better than others. We don't know. Right. If we don't have creation to go back to and we only have the fall, then I don't know. Maybe some people are better than others. The reason that oppression becomes a thing is because with a tented view of God and uh, a distant relationship with God, we become our own gods, right? 
We, we put ourselves in the center, right? We are the thing, right? Uh, uh, we are in our own minds, even though finite and limited, we are in charge of ourselves. We create ourselves. We build ourselves. We, we, we take care of ourselves. It's our house, my thing, my community, my church, whatever we gather in our 501c3s and say, like, it's me, myself, and I. This is a rap song, me, myself, and I. I don't know. Sorry, that was the old school come out. Just saying. So, so oppression becomes the thing. And oppression became the thing. The scripture says that the Egyptians um, oppressed the Hebrews, the Israelites. And what we see, how we see God handle that sin in the world gives us a view into who God is. I think profound view into who God is. That God doesn't like oppression. God sees everyone as born in the image of, of, of creation by creator, fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't think we're gods. And, and, and responds out of the cry he hears, the cry God hears from those who are it's my contention that those cries that we heard from the Exodus are similar to the cries we hear and have heard from the black church in America. So I want to walk through a few markers of the black church. The black church began as a liberation movement to free slaves. The black church in America, it brought, it, it brought with it the people that came, uh, uh, made the transition from Africa to here, brought a spirituality with them that started to, to gather and emerge here in America. And so creates the American black church. And that black church was formed out of that space of slavery. The first, one of the first black churches, and I believe the first one is a church in Savannah. First Baptist of Savannah. First Baptist of Savannah, if you go there now, is still standing. And uh, it was built by slaves on their time off in the evening. A, a spirituality formed out of being a slave during the day, not owning yourselves, and taking what little time you have to build something together with your community that allows you to worship the God you love. That's where it was built from. The AME Church came about not because black people wanted to be separate within the Methodist tradition. It came about because the United Methodist Church wouldn't let Richard Allen sit in church with them. I'm from Philly, so I know that story fairly well. 
And now I work with the Methodists, so I remind them all the time. <laughs> so the black church forming in a place where you weren't welcome or you weren't or you were owned and forming a spirituality in that place. Which is why I think it will speak to us if we listen and engage it. The Underground Railroad came through Savannah. And we visited there. We take groups of kids there. And you walk through the church, and there's holes in the floor. Little round holes in the floor throughout the church where they were high floors. There's over so they could breathe. That's a different kind of church. That's a different kind of spirituality. How does that link back to Exodus? Well, the Hebrew wives, when they were questioned about whether they had killed these boys that they were supposed to kill, they said, well, you know, our women are stronger than the other women, Pharaoh. Right? There was this idea, there was this thing that pushed against the system and, and rebelled against the system for that is built into the fabric we see in Exodus, and it's built into the fabric of the black church and black spirituality larger than that. Second thing, marker of the black church, is a belief in the empowerment of the unqualified, quote unquote. A belief that God can give you what you need when you need it, despite the qualifications that the society says you have to have. Remember, built as slaves, built as people thrown out, right? Not allowed to do certain things and go certain places. So qualifications had to come from somewhere else because they weren't coming from society in general. So a belief that qualifications come from God and God only. Our pastor is qualified to preach, not because she or he right, has been ordained by society, but because they have been don't need the permission of society structures to do what God says needs to be done. Right? A strong belief in that. There's a reason why when we encounter the black church and black spirituality, there's no emphasis on where you went to seminary or who you studied with. There's an emphasis on how do you know you So how we choose leaders needs to be examined. 
if we want to invoke black spirituality into all of our lives and all of our presence where we live and work and serve, right? Moses, Esther, Rahab, Peter, the Canaanite woman, the woman at the well, right? These are all stories of unqualified people who know probably two big things. Call, mission, right, and purpose. Three, that's three. <laughs> Maybe math may not be one of those. <laughs> Third thing, black spirituality, you will notice, has to speak the truth to power. And I use the word has to, because that truth is spoken to power, not to get power, but to survive. There's a difference. Right? Speaking truth to power because I want to take your place is one thing. Speaking truth to power so my kids can eat and black boys can stop being killed is a different thing. Right? Speaking truth to power from the African-American spiritual place is about surviving and taking care of our children so that there can be some space of safety just to exist. And we know that this speaking truth to power has proven to be deadly in many, many cases. One of the most famous is a church bombed in Alabama where four little girls died. Do you think that church was speaking truth to power because they wanted more power or they didn't know the truth? Right? I need to watch clock. I need to watch clock today. Fourth thing, last piece on this is um, the black church um, is formed um, uh, with this understanding that they have to mobilize in the wilderness. I do need to give these four points, I, uh, and this, this kind of thought came from my buddy, uh, Ephraim Smith, and I got to give him a shout out this time. I won't do it forever, but... Uh, <laughs> But I learned these things from him. This idea of uh, mobilizing in the wilderness. After slavery and before the promised land, there was this time in the wilderness. And Ephraim says it like this. That they had to get the slavery mentality out of them and understand what it means to own their own lands. Right? And so... This space was where they were mobilizing in this hard space. Fighting a couple things, fighting, fighting, fighting where they came from in Egypt and trying to wrap their minds around where they're going. I didn't really know what that looked like. 
So mobilizing in the wilderness, in the hard space. Can we go up on this picture? Just the next one. I'll, I'll work with that one from now. All right. So Jim Crow becomes this wilderness space for African-American churches and people. After slavery ends, right, and before, until the Civil Rights Act of 1964, right, about 100 years of wilderness mobilizing, right, mobilizing in space where you couldn't play a game with any other person, right, any white person. You, like, you couldn't even be chained as a criminal together with a white person, right? The white criminal was a little better. Couldn't even be chained with you. Crazy, right? Barbershops, marriages, right? The black church is forming in this space. So does that, does that bring, bring, like make sense to why it is called the black church? Because it's forming in this place where our kids can't play with other kids, our criminals can't be with other criminals, we can't marry legally across racial lines, right? We gotta go to different bathrooms, all this stuff. So we've got to form a space drawing on our spiritual understanding of who we believe God is. Next picture. And so, what we see out of that formation is the rise of young people who leave out of their homes and go into hostile territory to grab an education. What does God mean in that scene? Who is God to those white folks yelling,
to talk about that a little bit. I'll stop um, talking so much, although I got about another half hour in me. <laughs> we are going to call our panel up. Um, um, Andrew, Coffey, and Donna are going to come. And um, what uh, they're going to... I'm the moderator. I've talked enough. So what, what, um, what I'm going to ask them a few questions, and the questions are going to be, what did this practically look like, right? So, so I kind of gave an overview um, of some things, and now um, each of them is going to talk from their own experience. They're all from different places, Midwest, West Coast, um, a lot of time in, in, in the West Coast, but also New York, right? And then Philly. Philly and New York, even though they're close, they are not alike at all. <laughs> so, um, and, and definitely Midwest, is, I mean, that's its own, own place. <laughs> I say that because he's a Kansas City Chiefs fan. As you can see, I see the world through, through sports too much. <laughs> so, practicals. Um, maybe each of you taking uh, a minute to talk about your experience because they're all different uh, and uh, what kind of connection points, however large or small they were to this spirituality space that we know as black church. Right? So take a couple minutes to introduce yourself and do that. Um, so my name is Andrew Morgan. Um, I've been a pastor for, I would say, um, about seven years. For me, I grew up in a traditional, uh, what I thought was a traditional black church. It was a church of God in Christ. We had a choir, you know, A and B selection. It was, it was a real, um, we were at church probably on a Sunday, I would say maybe from 9 a.m. to maybe 2 p.m. and then we would come back for YPWW and Sunday night service. And then there was like Friday and Wednesday services. Wednesday was usually like just choir rehearsal or whatnot. But the church was a place that uh, for us that was kind of known as a safe haven, somewhere to go and you can connect to what was good for the community. Um, for me personally, as I got a little bit older, the black church began to kind of vanish and there became a lot of mega churches began to pop up and um, I began to see that original thing that I grew up with kind of die. And so I felt something missing, but I still felt this call. And one of the points that uh, Leroy had made earlier was is very true. I felt disqualified from this call. And God had to consistently remind me that he, his call is what qualified me. I didn't have the space, time, or finances, or opportunities available to me to be able to do uh, seminary or even get a formal education in other areas, but God clearly called me to it. And so I actually took, um, God really showed me something in Exodus, actually in Exodus 33, 15, it is the attitude of, of my, just the birth of my ministry is just this idea that I won't go anywhere, God. I, I hear you calling me, but I won't go unless you go before me. 
And that's the only way that, the, that people will know who I am, that I'm called by your name. I knew that my skin color had a disqualification automatically, that I wouldn't be considered five-fifths human in front of the majority of the people I had to speak in front of. So every time I would speak, still to this day, I am desperate that God goes before me so that individuals can see and know that this is God. And that's, that's kind of been um, a big part of how I've had to navigate through things uh, as a man of God and, uh, and a black man. Um, I would say that um, I also grew up in a very traditional, uh, was black Baptist church on the East Coast. Um, and my understanding of who God was and what church meant was definitely shaped in that place. Um, it was a large church. Um, and I would say, when I'm saying like 700 to 1,000 people, um, one service on a Sunday morning, large building, all that. And that was an, an all African-American church um, with a pastor, yeah, who did not have a seminary education, right? But who was a shepherding pastor. Um, so my understanding of what a pastor was supposed to be was definitely shaped by that. And that was the, the pastor who goes to the hospital and visits you when you're sick and the pastor who performs the wedding ceremonies in the sanctuary and the pastor who blesses your babies and who when the young people go away on a trip um, and leave early in the morning is out there to pray for you before you go. And when we come back at 1130 at 12 at night, he's out there to welcome us back because he lives in a parsonage next door and he sits on his porch and waits for his kids to come home. Um, so what my understanding of what pastor looked like was different and leaders like leaders um our church produced leaders um it was leadership development was in everything um and i do think that the what qualified you was different um but it started yes with that from that place of call what is god calling you to do and then are you willing to learn um and are you willing to model what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus as well as a leader of God's people. Um, I think I also identify with um, a, a spirituality that's built out of oppression. Like there's hard places in the world. People are struggling every day. And so when we come together to worship, um, there's a need to worship. It's not like an obligation to worship or I'm supposed to go to church on Sunday. There's a, I need to get into the house of God. I need to get into the presence of God. I need to hear the songs of Zion. I need to, to have people lay their hands on me and pray. Like, because life is hard and I need to get back into the place where I remember that God is yet in control and that I have not been forgotten. So, and it can't be fast, you know, right? So it's not the let's, let's get in and get out in an hour, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that happened in the six days prior to that. Um, and so there's, there's time. There's time to get into, to, to first of all, to shake off all that stuff. And then time to remember, oh, that's right. God is yet on the throne. He is yet in control. And I am his kid. 
and there is hope. And then there's time to rejoice in that remembrance um, and to be strengthened and renewed to go back out and to try to survive again for another week. So the thing of like, um, oh, black church is so long to worship because there's some stuff that has gone on and we're trying to live and we need to hear from God. And, that, and it's not going to be a 10 minute. Take your time. You'll hear people say, take your time, preacher. <laughs> it's like, take your time and preach because I, I need to hear from God. That's what I came here for. I need you to sing, choir, <laughs> right? Because I need to hear from God. And there's time to come to the altar and to pray because I need to pray with people who understand what I'm going through and, and also can, we say, get a prayer through people who know what it is to talk to God and have that expectation. So that the whole worship is, is just a different thing um, because of the life that, that you're living the rest of the week. Um, so I have a, a different kind of story. Um, I did not grow up in church. Um, and my father would call him, actually has call, calls himself a Christian defector. Um, and so the coming of age in the late, I don't know, early 60s, um, uh, and seeing very clearly the, not just the hypocrisy of the church, but the active oppression of the church um, turned away from the church and did a lot of community development. So I grew up in a, in a community in New York um, in, in a family that, that spent a lot of time, um, we went to protests, we did marches. I was a little girl, I remember all of these things. Um, and there was a lot of actual work in community organizing as well as um, speaking truth to power. But while I didn't go to church and my family never talked about Jesus or Christianity except for that's the tool of the oppressor, um, the role of the church in social justice movements in the black community is the center. So even though we didn't go to church, where we went for organizing um, was the church. And the preacher would be the person um, quoting scripture and um, saying the truth to mobilize people to get through the, the pain of their life, but also to get them to push through these very hard spaces when, when looking um, and dealing with some justice issues. So I feel like I really grew up understanding the tension and the complexity of what Christianity really is. It is God of the universe making himself known to people and it is a tool that is used to oppress and to malign God's image. In, in, in each other and in ourselves. So this complexity, um, I think, is, is part of, a, I would say, a conscious black um, spirituality. How do we even reconcile these two, these two um, truths? Um, 
So I, I end up going, and you know, now I'm into these predominantly white spaces, and the theology is very anemic. It, it doesn't change anything of what's happening with anybody. You're just loving the Lord and going about your business. Um, and so the the spirituality, I think, is, is really um, embracing the complexity of life, the complexity of um, the truth of God and the truth of his people. Oh, we could be here all day, can't we? Oh, that's all good. Um, so, um, so some of the, so there is this spiritual, spirituality that is this connection with God and there's this, there's this practicality, right, of life and living um, that comes out of this black spirituality space. One of the places, um, practical places that it comes out is in music, right? So what has music meant to you and how have you seen that play out in, your, in, in, in both of those places, in, the, in the, your connection to God and in the, the practicality of life? Well, for me, um, one of the professions I had before getting into full-time pastoring was a radio DJ. I also had a large radio collection, and I, I loved music. I grew up in the church listening to music, and um, but not necessarily connected to mainstream music being. So I wasn't a huge fan of gospel music as a child, I, you know. But once I got older and I left secular DJ and I began to run a Christian radio station and I made an attempt to blend contemporary with gospel and all the different types and I was like it's all God's music everyone's gonna listen so this was an internet radio station and so I could actually see the amount of viewers and our listeners at the time and I would watch how if I was playing let's say Oceans there's like 25 people listening, but then if I go into Kurt Franklin, it's 10, and it would switch back and forth, and so I found myself connecting with music, loving it, missing the choir a little bit, although I didn't like it, but still missing the diversity uh, of it, and I think one of the big moments for me that it had, uh, I realized that music could coexist, I went to Haiti, and I saw that people were there at church all day long, like they were coming there and spending eight and nine hours at a time in church. And, um, but they were doing both choir and they were doing just like, kind of like the worship set, like here today, you know, but it was just this consistent, um, you know, stream of music. But I, I realized that it can kind of coexist and I didn't feel as bad because for a while there, I used to feel bad that I, I wanted gospel music and didn't want the contemporary. And then I went through stages where it's like, I want contemporary. You know, I kind of, so I've had a, a weird, I don't know if that really answers the question, but I've had a weird relationship with it. But I do, I've come to find that all forms, of, like forms of worship for God are needed. Like we can't say, hey, just this one way because I'm comfortable with it. I've been really blessed by music that I didn't initially 
life. Like I've been blessed by skillet songs and I didn't think that I would, I would. <laughs> but that's, uh, but it's needed. You know, that, that diversity is needed in my opinion. Um, music is like a huge part of who I am and, um, and my life. As my mother took me to the children's choir, our, our church had six choirs, right? It's a big church, so there was all kinds of choirs. Every age group had a choir. Um, so she put me down to the children's choir at the age of three. Um, I think because when I was at home, I sang all the time as a little kid. She took me and, um, and I was singing in a choir or, a, or some type of um, music group from the age of three um, until uh, well into my 30s. So we moved to Atlanta. Um, and, and then once we started church, I was leading worship. So it's always been a part of me. Um, and I think that my experience in the church was music. In fact, the teaching that I received was that music was what prepared us to hear from God. So the, the role of the choir or the worship leader or the, um, the worship team or soloist, whoever, was to prepare the people's heart, to soften it, to prepare it to receive the word of God to be implanted into us. And that was like a, a serious responsibility. How do we get people out of their heads, out of thinking about what they're going to do after worship? What, what was the argument they were having that they're going to finish afterwards? What was going to be for dinner or whatever to in a space where I'm ready to hear from God? Um, and that that was the, um, one of the primary purposes of the music. Um, so that was my understanding, but it, and, but it was also this rich mix of, um, yeah, gospel music, but also in our church we had more um, classical music, like that we had two choir stands, so one side was always like, you know, more Handel, Bach, you know, with the p big pipe organ and all that, and the other side was gospel with the piano and the drums and um, and so we had both on, on a Sunday morning, um, every Sunday morning. Um, and then the, the congregation was singing hymns and singing along. And then the, in the beautiful call and response fashion of the black church, that the congregation would, is joining in with whatever is being led up front. And, um, and every expression, there's clapping. And the, I've been in services where the, the, the tap on the, the beat on the floor of is part of what's going on in the the worship and what what is happening and feeling that in your body like being able to experience the presence of God in your body because of that that music and that rhythm that is there um, um, was is a wonderful precious thing um, and and it's a part of my personal devotional time at home. Um, it's, and it's funny when you talk about that mix of music. I have, I listen to Pandora because I'm 
not a fan of the Portland radio stations. So I use Pandora in my car at or at home or whatever, but I tried to make these different stations and I tried to have a gospel station and then I have an R&B station, which I like. Um, and every single time, Pandora, whatever the, the algorithm can't separate those. Like, it, I will start it off with I'll choose, if I choose gospel music, different gospel artists and songs. Before long, it starts putting in an R&B song. And if I'm on my R&B station and I put, choose those things before long, it'll insert Kurt Franklin. Or so it'll start inserting gospel. And I'll keep like, and I'll say no, you know, thumbs down or whatever. But it'll keep doing that. It's like it can't separate. It seems like even the computer says these two things go together. And of course, one was born out of the other. So it makes perfect sense um, that those things are all connected and all intertwined. Um, and they can speak of our pain and our sorrow, and they can speak of our joy and our triumph. Um, and I personally need to have both. Um, so I was raised with a very, very global perspective. Um, so I enjoy uh, what I, I will call pan-African music. So I like all kinds of, of music. I, I love West African drumming, um, South African singing. So I enjoy those kind of things. Um, honestly, I don't listen to a whole bunch of music these days because I have four children. <laughs> uh, and I kind of need my quiet space. Um, <laughs> but I, I do really enjoy music. And, and I was just thinking, Donna, what you said is that um, I, I wasn't raised in the church, but all American uh, born black music comes out of the spirituals. And um, I just moved to this area in July and I lived in West Michigan and at my church we had a, a gospel choir and I was involved there. But what I find, and I never really thought of myself being like a, a gospel music lover, so to speak. Um, I don't have family from the South. Uh, wasn't raised in the church is not something that I heard all the time. But I, I find that the, the older I get, um, the more um, that the spirituals um, um, soothe me and connect to me. The, the idea of, of groaning um, your pain and then somehow setting that to music. Um, there was a show that came on TV called Underground a few years ago, and there's this one um, scene where the slaves are off in South Carolina or something on a, uh, one of the Gullah Islands, and they all at the same time uh, strike their hole, and they just all make the same sound. And um, I just remember feeling that the how deep that resonated in me. And I don't have a gospel music background. In fact, I'm pretty particular about things that I'll listen, what I listen to, what I don't listen to, just in general. Like I said, I don't tend to listen to a whole bunch. But I find that unconsciously, um, the idea of your musical home, my musical home is my historical 
home, even though I wasn't raised to think of it that way. Sorry, we are going to have to end. Um, we're, on, we're on white man's time, so. <laughs> I gotta take shots when I can, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, I think though this, um, at, you, we will, I will be here. We will continue to teach around things, but um, prayerfully over this next year, we can dive deeper into um, this idea of black spirituality and what it means. We only hit on one practical being music, which is probably uh, the most consistent, right? From the spirituals to blues to jazz, right? To the Beatles ripping off songs, right? To all these things, right? Um, every, ex every, every cultural expression of music that's authentically American is rooted in African-American spirituality. Absolutely. Uh, and so that, that should launch us into this space of, well, what does this really mean, right? What is this spirituality that is probably playing on my radio, but I don't, I don't realize it? What is this spirituality that can offer me something in my space of struggle because it has historically come from that place its entire existence in this country? Amen. So let me pray, and uh, let's thank our panel for being here.